The Healing the City podcast is a ministry of the Village Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you enjoy the Healing the City podcast and wish to support it financially, you can go to villagersonline.com, click the We Give tab, and follow the instructions. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Healing City Podcast. My name is Eric Seepin, and I am sitting right across from Ron Brown. Hey, Ron, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. This is uh, your first podcast with Don't, us. Yeah, a little have, nervous. Have, uh, it's my first podcast, period. Oh, so, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome. Well, this one is about you, all about you. <laughs> so I thought we would just start with uh, maybe you could tell people a little bit about yourself, like where you came from, kind of. Just some back history of yourself. Sure. Uh, Yeah, so I was born in Toronto um, in 82, and I grew up in and around Toronto. I was there my whole life until I was um, in my mid-20s. Went to the University of Toronto. Um, I left Toronto for the first time uh, when I was in my mid-20s, early mid-20s, to go to grad school in New Jersey realized quite quickly in that that was what I was trying to accomplish was not really a likely outcome. So I, I left the school and went back, uh, went and taught English in Korea for a bit. How long uh, were you in Korea? A little over a year, a little okay. over a year. And while I was there, I applied to occupational therapy programs back home and I came back when I got in. Um, I think part of the reason I chose OT was a few reasons. I, the, the previous path I'd been on, my goal in life was to be a professor of cognitive science. Okay. And in a lot of ways, like that was my religious community in a lot of ways. Like I, I remember years ago, I wrote a blog article about the uh, overrepresentation of non-believers on campuses. And at the time, as, an, as a non-believer, I took that as, I took that in the most self-serving way possible. Oh, it's because we're smarter and we know more. That's why we're more likely to be atheists. That's interesting. But coming back to it after, I wrote this blog article, even as an atheist, and I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's part of it. But I think a bigger part of it, or at least as big of a part of it, is that if you're in the university uh, setting, you, I think you're less in need of what religion has to offer. You have a community. Uh, If you're trying to be a professor, you have a goal structure. You have like an upward trajectory that you're trying to climb. You have the ideals of like, you know, furthering knowledge, furthering education. So you have the lofty ideals, you have the community, you have the sense of purpose of, if I do this today, I can hope for that tomorrow. Um, you got the and you also got the fancy building and the robes too. Yeah, you got the fancy building. So just to back up a little bit, yeah. tell me a little bit about Toronto. How big is Toronto? It's a big city. Um, if it was in America, it would be the fourth or fifth biggest city in the country, okay. depending on how you, or maybe even third or fourth. Yeah, it would go New York City, L.A., and then depending on where you draw the borders, either Chicago or Toronto. And so, did you live out in the suburbs, or did you live in the city, like? Um, from up until I, I was uh, sixteen, I lived in Scarborough, which is basically the Toronto equivalent of a place like you know t- Scarborough is to Toronto what Queens would be to New York City. Uh, okay, okay, makes sense. And then we moved to a suburb called Ajax, uh, which is about forty minutes outside of the city when I was sixteen. Okay, and then I went to the University of Toronto, which was right downtown. So tell me a little bit about that because here you are in a metropolitan city <laughs> in the center. I mean, what's I mean, that's got to be an incredible experience to just be in the life of a big city like that going to a, a reputable college yeah. university 
Yeah, it, it, it was definitely something. Um, totally recommend it. Um, it was great. Um, although, I th- you know, they, I remember during Frost Week and Orientation Week, they kept on saying, these are the best four years of your life coming up. <laughs> and I, I don't think I ever fully realized that until about six months after it ended. Right. So, uh, um, and I was there for five years, so I had an extra year to learn it, but it still took me five and a half years. Um, and so the, what I did wrong when I was there is I was so focused on my future and on studying that I didn't take advantage of all the opportunities that do come from being at a, a top university in a big city. Yeah. I was yeah. so busy locking myself up in libraries that, uh, but yeah, no, it's a tremendous experience, a tremendous opportunity too. Yeah. You sound just in your personality type, a, a pretty industrious, pretty driven kind of person. Yeah. I was also a clinically slow reader. So, oh, and yeah. Wow. And, yeah. You, and you got your bachelor's in psychology. Is that what, or whatever? Ba- yeah. Psych research and like, cognitive science. So there's a lot of reading involved in a that. Little bit, yeah, just yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Fast forward. Well, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about uh, what it was like growing up as a kid. Anything you want to share about that, and then we'll kind of move forward. Um, you know, it, it wasn't easy. Um, like I, I didn't have a good father figure, and um, so that I think at the time I I, I realized that was not a good thing, but I didn't realize to the degree to which it wasn't a good thing. Like you don't realize what you're missing out on until it, until what you're missing out on slaps you in the face. And that sometimes takes 15 years for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I still don't know how to change my own oil. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a very practical one. So, yeah. So tell me just a little bit about, uh, like maybe just a couple of things that you think, wow, like this is, this is what I missed out because I didn't have a, father figure outside of not learning how to change your oil i had a good father figure and i don't yeah so yeah so that was just like a kind of a stereotypical example obviously you know you know i can't i joke no no i understand but no but like yeah more substantially yeah um it's kind of like you know how you see a lot of people who join gangs as kids Mm -hmm. they disproportionately didn't have good father figures yeah that's you you hear that over and over again right I i could totally see how that could happen because I didn't, as a growing boy, I didn't have a model of what it was to be a reputable man. And so you start looking for mentorship and acceptance that you're not getting at home. Right. No, it makes sense. And if you have, if you're, if you're not secure in yourself, like I think, and and by the same token, if I, if I had had a father and if I had been in a church, I think I would have been a lot less susceptible to, to joining people that were doing things that were not the greatest of things. Because it's like I would have had the sense of, you know, I know what I'm doing. I, 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 I'm navigating through life and I can tell that what they're doing is not the right thing for me. Right. Um, and if I had a church community at the time, it's like when you have a community, you don't feel the need to find a community as much. You've got one. Yeah, and, true. and so you can be almost like a more selective shopper <laughs> in the people that you uh, sure, sure. buy, <laughs> metaphorically speaking. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, so so really just having what you felt as an absence is having a guide in your life, having some stop mm-hmm. gaps, having someone to give you sort of, oh, this is the way the trail goes, not that way. Right. You shouldn't go this way. And then right. having some community to back that up. Those were kind of absent in your life. Yeah, and then also just things like, you know, like I'm terribly uncoordinated. It would have been great to have someone, 
you know, throw the ball with me when I was a young yeah. kid. Like, teach me some reflexes and some coordination <laughs> so that I stop humiliating myself on the dance floor. <laughs> um, you heard it here first. Fathers are the key to good dancing. Mostly true. Um, but yeah, and it's not just so much a father thing. It's yeah. like, it's, my mom was a great mom. Is a great mom. Um, but the thing is, is that she was so she has a very interesting interesting story she was an immigrant a refugee immigrant from uganda east africa she was an Idi Amin refugee uh she was sent her and her whole family was taken out of the country they basically were told like get out or we're gonna kill you oh wow um so what happened was my parents that uganda is in east africa my my mom is from there with her family and um, this is um, a country that over the years had had many people from places like the Middle East and India move in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, often in the cooperation of, with the British people who were, you know, colonized the land. Yeah, and so they became like Indians and Middle Eastern people became overrepresented in their politics and in their big business. Mm. And eventually Idi Amin, uh, his group, this is my understanding. I haven't done a deep dive into this, but my understanding. We'll go with your understanding. Yeah. Is that basically, and it makes sense, the native Ugandans, like the black Ugandans, they felt like, why don't we want our country back? And so one of the early things they did was kick out people that weren't black. Mm. Um, so where that left my mom was it, her family got sent to Canada. Okay. Um, and But not all their family. Um, like a lot of them went to like the U.S. Okay. Or, um, and then once they were in Canada, they started off in Nova Scotia on the east uh, side of the country. But then one of my aunts stayed there. Okay. Another one of my aunts um, uh, and, and my grandparents moved to Vancouver. My mom moved to Toronto, and her brother moved to Australia. Oh, wow. Right. All over the place. Exactly. And so the thing is, is that imagine my my mom moved here at the age of 15 or to Canada at the age of 15 or 16. She was working like part-time jobs after school, just giving her paychecks to her parents, like just signing them off to them because like she was basically partaking in the family's survival in this new country. Um, and, and she's still learning the culture and everything, wow. right? Yeah. And, and so then like years later, she has me with my dad, but my dad turns out to not be, he's did, someone that should never have been a dad. Did, did he meet her in, in Toronto? Yes, okay. in Toronto. Okay. And so just imagine my mom's situation where it's like she's only, you know, she's, one, she's female raising a boy. Two, she was not born in this culture. Like, you know, by the time I was born, she'd only been here for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And not all of it was in Toronto. <laughs> um, then my dad proves to be unhelpful. Right. And, 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 my, and, and he doesn't pay child support, like, basically at all. Wow. So my mom is the only person in her family in her province she has a kid the father is doing nothing so she has to work mm. a full-time job uh like take care of the house take care of the food you know try and have some semblance of a life of her own just to keep her sanity it's like right. it's not easy for her to find the time to go through the ball around with me right 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 so and it's like like it's almost like I would have been way better off in some ways. Like I don't want to say because it's, it's like, well, mommy, yeah, this is obviously an insult to my dad, not to you. But, but it's like it's almost like yeah, like having two parents is is better than having one. Like yeah. all mm-hmm. else equal, because it's a hard job. Yeah, it's hard for her. It's hard for you. Yeah, yeah. It's a whole. There's a lot of challenges there. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's like I, I have nothing but appreciation because I know the sacrifices she made for me. Just right. And do you have brothers and sisters? I don't know. No. So you. 
it was just you and her. Right. So there's a strong bond between the two. Of you. Yeah, I, I, I am very much a mama's boy. Um, you have to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So she she had a, an upward battle just to get to where she's at. Oh, yeah. She fights for everything. Like, yeah. she is absolutely an incredible person. She's a role model. Mm. Um, she's 66. Uh, she works out like an absolute beast. Um, she, she had to have her shoulder operated on a few months ago. And they basically said, like, yeah, you can't really use this arm really pretty much at all for the next, like, nine months. She's still working out. She's doing everything she possibly can without that arm. Like, no matter how awkward it is, she's she's hitting the gym just as much as she ever did. So the so the gym thing is definitely a genetic thing. It's Mostly like, true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's awesome. So yeah. you're both gym rats. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. So, all right. So that's kind of the setting for you, where yeah. you grew up, kind of the, your home experience, sort of how you were shaped. Um, you head over. You were to Rutgers, right? You're at Rutgers. Yeah. And you want to become... A clinical psychologist or research psychologist? Uh, a, co- a cognitive psychologist. A cognitive psychologist. Uh, okay. I was uh, studying uh, how kids like like kind of Noam Chomsky type stuff, like okay. like chat, like linguistic development. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, I did a tiny bit of that in college, but not a lot. Super cool stuff. It is. It is cool. It's yeah. cool. Um, so you were headed that way, but at some point, like how long were you at Rutgers? You, uh, I should have been there for about six years. I was there for barely over six months. And, and what what made that shift where you're like, I'm, I'm headed somewhere else? Well, I think I realized it. So I got there in August. School started in September. And by early mid-November, mid-November, that's when it hit me. Um, I just realized that I don't like what I'm doing mm. here. Like, I, I love... I love the big picture of science, but the big picture is made up of the puzzle pieces. That's the nitty gritty. Right. I respect right. that. I respect that stuff completely, but I realize that I'm never going to enjoy being the one doing it. You know, I want the big ideas, but I don't want the grunt work that goes into yeah. making those ideas in the <laughs> right, first place. Right. Yeah, I just no, want to go right to the breakthrough study, which is not reasonable. Right. Um, um, and then, but what, what all, that wasn't the whole thing though. It's like, if I felt like if I just, stick this out i will get a tenure track position i would have stuck it out because you know once you get tenure you can start picking what you research more and how you research more and then i could have gotten more big picture yeah but when i realized how competitive the job market was for professors in this field it's like if the university of arizona were to post a tenure track position tomorrow in cognitive psychology which by the way they won't but if they did um you would get three or four hundred applications every one of them having at least a phd and only one of them goes home happy right yeah no and the same like things like philosophy and other yeah. places like that yeah it's a wow it's a, and, a crazy place and it's like if you're like an engineering phd and you and you don't get professorship in engineering. There's a lot of other things you can do that justify all the efforts you've made. And right, sacrifices. there's plenty of engineering companies that want to hire you. Right. So yeah, but it's like, what would I be able to offer the free market by saying I've spent I've spent the last seven years studying how children generalize their earliest verbs? Yeah. No. How can I help you? Yeah. <laughs> and do you want French fries with that? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that was an interesting little slip there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So you make that decision. Yeah. And then where do you go from there? Because I mean, this is your thing. Like this yeah. is the thing you want to do in life. And then you're like, well, wait a minute, I can't really do this. Um. So well, the first thing I did was I cried relentlessly for two days, uh, because this was not me just giving up a career path. This right, was give, right. me giving up my entire vision of myself my like it was me leaving my community all of my ambitions 
Um, and and then also like one of my professors who actually some of the people in the church may have heard of John Verveke, um, who's at University of Toronto. He one of the things he told me when I was like on the edge of dropping out um, was Ron like you are so interested in ideas you need to be in university you will like you will not be intellectually satisfied outside of this community and he wasn't wrong like i was trying to shoehorn intellectualism into into areas they were not fitting in right um and but anyhow um so yeah what was your question? Well, well you were just yeah. headed into talking about how you made this transition. You yeah. said you wept for a couple of days. Oh yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so then... I, yeah, so I was giving up all that stuff, and then you know I went back uh, to uh, my parents' house, and I started applying to a lot of jobs, and um, and I got one, a pretty good one. It was like a, a respectable job. It was with a government health agency. It was like okay. twenty one bucks an hour in downtown okay. Toronto in two thousand seven. That's not that's bad. not bad, not bad at all. Yeah, for someone who has like their highest degree as a university uh, yeah, no, really undergrad. Good. Mm-hmm. But it, it was like I went in there and I left after three days, uh, just because it was so depressing to me. Mm. And so then I had a lot of personal problems, like you know, just kind of like a a life crisis and then once i recovered from that i went to go teach english in korea my thinking was is that if i go teach english in korea um one i won't have to live in my parents house uh it's good <laughs> yeah i'll get to see the rest of the world yeah and i'll be teaching korean kids english which is not that far removed from what i was studying as a graduate right, student right right some language yeah right, it's right there. yeah yeah um but the big thing was like I felt really stupid um, having spent like, you know, three, four years of intense effort trying to become a university professor. Like all those were an undergrad except for the last six months. Um, I, I felt silly that I, I it didn't occur to me to why don't you just look at the blab- the Bureau of Labor Statistics once? Right. Why don't you just look at StatsCan once and see what the market is like? Never, you know, and it's and it's it's so funny because people would try and tell me I'm barking up the wrong tree, but I would arrogantly dismiss them. Like, um, it would have been much better for me if my mom had gone to university because when she because she didn't, I was able to just dismiss her out of hand when she said this exact thing to me because I'm just like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You didn't go to university. <laughs> and a couple years later, it's like, oh yeah, I have mom. Yeah, yeah, my bad. You were right. Mm, um, wow. Yeah. Wow. So. You go to Korea. That's yeah. that's got to be an interesting experience teaching Korean kids English and being in a whole different environment. Yeah. And and I we talked a little earlier about this and just how good the food is and how cheap it was. Like yeah, you ate out every single night. Yeah, I not just, I ate out two to three times a day every single day for probably something like four hundred and forty consecutive days. And that was not irresponsible of me. I paid about seventy cents American for breakfast, about a you know a dollar for lunch, and maybe two bucks for dinner. Nice. If me and, if me and my friends wanted to have a good time, you know, we could each get an awesome Korean dinner, the kind of thing that you each one of you would pay like thirty bucks here for. Right. We'd get two beers each, and we would each pay like ten bucks total for the whole thing. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So so. Obviously, the food was good. It was affordable. But you were teaching kids. Like, what was your whole experience? Was it good? What was the hard part? What did you learn? I think, um, okay, so one thing I learned uh, was kids need uh, boundaries. And and, and, and I always, um, my, my personality type is such that I'm, I'm a rather, like, 
democratic type like not like in the as in the party but like in the sense that like i'm very anti-authoritarian like mm-hmm. i want people's autonomy to be respected if you tell them to do something you should tell them why mm-hmm. um not just impose your will on them right and so because of that i gave the kids a lot of leeway um and what ended up happening was since i didn't set boundaries they would start you know misbehaving on a right. frequent basis and and then i would actually become resentful because i'd be thinking why are you behaving worse with me than these other teachers that are way harder on you where's your gratitude but it just <laughs> yeah, so that's one thing i learned is you need to like set reasonable boundaries set as few <laughs> rules as possible but set the rules that are necessary and hold them consistently well i, I just want to pause there yeah as a parent and as someone who teaches parenting you just explained the golden rule of parenting right there. <laughs> that That is most parents err on the side of either having no rules and chaos like you discovered yes. and no boundaries or overcomplicated multiple rules with weird punishment sets. Right. And what right. you said is like the perfect way to do it. A few rules enforced. And in, and yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the way you do it. Well, I'll cite my sources. That's a Jordan Peterson yes. statement right there. Yeah, well, um, Jordan but, heard it from me. <laughs> mostly true. Yeah. Um, but, but the most interesting thing, so there was a few things that were interesting that I experienced, and it wasn't as a teacher in Korea. It was just being an observer there. Okay. And so one thing was when I went there, I expected to learn almost like a certain level of humility and mm. and decreased superficiality yeah because i felt like this is a culture with buddhist roots it's mm-hmm. very collectivist whereas we're in north america very individualistic yeah um and so i figured hey like you know it'll be more kind of less about me and uh right. and less kind of um neurotic about the self mm-hmm. but in some ways i actually found it to be more that way there than here and i think what the wit's playing out is that as um, for females um they're under such pressure there to put like everyone like the males are under pressure to be successful and the females are under pressure there to like get to get a man who's successful and to be pretty and to be well liked all that stuff but it, and that's also true you know to a sure. reasonable extent here but the thing is is that there the collectivism i don't think it helps i think it hurts mm. because then when you go out if you don't do well you're not just bringing discomfort to yourself you're bringing maybe you're bringing a little bit of shame to your family oh gee wow yeah no that's that's true and and so as it happens i think it's either seoul or south korea as a whole they are one of the plastic surgery capitals of the world interesting i had no idea right so that was one interesting thing and another thing was um so the seniority is a big thing there yes and and so it's kind of um like let's say you're older than me and so if you and i and some other friends were to go out and you were the oldest person in the group right if you handed us a sixth glass of soju that's basically korean vodka it doesn't matter too much if we have to work the next day we're kind of obligated we're not obligated but we really should take the drink because you handed it to right, us right and so as a person of the personality type i described earlier anti-authoritarian very individual <laughs> individual liberty yeah that really rubbed me the wrong way uh-huh. however it's like you got to look at these things from both sides it's like yes the younger are expected to listen to the older but 
there's a bi-directional expectations. The older are expected to have the best interests of the younger at heart. Right. And so it's like the younger is supposed to be a protege and the, and the, and the older is supposed to be a mentor. Right. And they both have responsibilities to each other. And the second that one of them starts flouting those responsibilities, I think the broader community will not feel bad towards the others for severing the relationship. Interesting. Whereas here, yeah, we don't have to listen to the elders as much, but the elders also aren't as obligated to us to guide us. Right. So so it's a very interesting set of trade-offs. You've been listening to Healing the City podcast with Susan Seepin and Eric Seepin. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.